Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of two rounds of frightening fiction about death undone and inseparable siblings. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of E.Z. Morgan and Travis Coleman are voice talents Olivia Steele and Kaylin Scott Carter. Now, get your ticket ready, take your seat in our theater of the minds, and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. (laughs) Our first tale tonight was written by E.Z. Morgan, and it's performed by voice actress Olivia Steele. Without further ado, I present to you, My Sister Was Murdered. As kids, my sister Cassie and I didn't know we were different. How could we? We spent all of our time in the house. Our parents never let us play outside. They said this was for our own protection. I remember clearly our father outlining all the horrors of the world beyond our front door. Vicious animals, dangerous men, deathly illnesses... Every day brought a new reason why we couldn't venture outside the walls of the house. I realized the truth much later. They were embarrassed of us. Cassie and I were close. Literally and metaphorically. We spent every moment together. 
I've read that twins are often this way. But we were more than that. We woke up at the same time, closed our eyes for bed at the same time. We would often dream the exact same dream. We read books together. She'd read the left page and I'd read the right. Our parents said we were unnaturally close. This didn't make sense to us at the time. When we played, we would stick two toys together at the head, gummy see-through tape obscuring their faces. We would walk the one-headed doll in staccato movements, Cassie moving the left leg, me moving the right. Soon, all of our toys were paired up. The stuffed pig was taped to the alligator. The china doll was matched up with a plastic dinosaur. Cassie and I even went so far as to glue our pillows together. So they'd never be lonely, I told our outraged mother. Despite our bond, Cassie and I were very different. I was perfectly fine obeying all of our parents' rules, although they were plentiful. Cassie, on the other hand, hated the rules. Even the small ones like brushing our teeth at night would send her into a fit. I liked mother's dresses she would make for me, but Cassie ripped at them with her teeth. Cassie was also nonverbal. It wasn't her fault, she just couldn't get her mouth to move the way the rest of ours did. This didn't mean we couldn't communicate. In fact, Cassie and I spoke constantly, always in our mind. Yuck, I hate bananas, she told me in the morning as our mother served breakfast. Shut up, Cassie. I turned and smiled at mother. Thanks for breakfast. Cassie growled under her breath. You're such a suck up. We're prisoners here and you treat them like angels. They're our parents. Mother could always see we were arguing in our head. She never commented on it, though. I don't think she wanted to know what was going on between us. When we were younger, I noticed that Cassie and I didn't look like the kids in the picture books. These kids were alone. But Cassie and I were always together. I asked Father about it, and he told us we had a condition. You're sick, he said sternly, but the doctors can't separate you. It would kill her. He would like me to die, Cassie whispered in our head. Of course he wouldn't, he loves you. But he didn't. I knew this secretly. Our parents didn't do much to hide the fact that they favored me. They viewed Cassie as dead weight. And as we got older, I have to admit that I started to understand their opinion. She was difficult. She was always upset over something. Plus... She was the reason I wasn't allowed outside or able to have any friends. Around the age of 12, our parents started letting us use the computer. It was only supposed to be for our studies, but when we were alone, we tried to Google ourselves. Twins who share a brain. The first article was about twins who eat each other in the womb. This clearly wasn't relevant. The second was about Siamese twins. We skipped this one because we were from America. Then we got to the third one, which had a picture. Two grown women who shared a head. One woman was large and the other was small. It looked a little like Cassie and I. The article called them conjoined twins. It said that although the women wished they could be separated, the doctors ruled it was too dangerous. That's us, I said to Cassie. Why would anyone want to be separated, she responded. Maybe so they could look like normal people. I would much rather be with you than be normal. I paused before saying, Me too, Cassie. But that was all before Cassie was killed. She died of suffocation. We were 14. I knew the second she stopped breathing. I could feel a shiver in my entire body, as if something was crawling down my nerves. I started screaming. I didn't intend to, but the reaction was involuntary. Maybe it was Cassie screaming through me. My mother appeared in our bedroom as if she'd already been inside. My father was close behind. They rushed us, me, to the hospital. It was the first time I felt night air on my face. Any fear about being outside evaporated. It was freedom. I saw men and women of all different races. They crowded around me, staring at me like a wild animal. I didn't care. 
It was bliss. I even forgot about the corpse of my sister hanging off of me. No one tried to resuscitate Cassie. Even though I knew she was dead, there was not a single attempt to save her life. The only thing the doctors did was prep me for surgery. Mother and father stroked my hair. They told me they loved me. That soon, this would all be over. That the doctors would remove the tumor. The tumor that was my dead sister. I woke up some time later with the oddest sensation of weightlessness. My eyes were barely open, but I could see my parents asleep on a nearby couch. I was hooked up to a number of machines. I looked over and realized I was alone. The normal feeling of Cassie's body next to mine was gone. I was in a twin-sized bed. Logically, I knew what happened. Cassie died, and so they removed her from me. But the shock of the lack of her made my heart race. This thing I had secretly wanted, quietly yearned for, was terrifying. I lay back and moved my head around. It was so strange being able to move freely. There was no extra body to hinder me. Flatingly, I wondered where her corpse was. Was it lonely? Was I lonely? I lifted my hand hesitantly and felt the flesh that had once connected me to Cassie. In its place was a large scar and raised stitches. All that was left of my sister was empty air. It didn't feel real. I had only been conscious a few minutes and already panic was setting in. This was a mistake. What happened to Cassie? Where was she? I needed her. Desperately, I whispered, Cassie, are you there? A minute ticked by. Silence. Then a massive wave of screams filled my brain. It was Cassie's voice, igniting my mind with a thousand horrified shrieks. My eyes stuck wide open. Cassie's voice began to speak through the screaming. They killed me! They killed me! They killed me! Shut up! I yelled. My parents rose from sleep. I realized I had said this out loud. They came to me, trying to soothe my fears, but all the while Cassie was tormenting me. They murdered me! I tried not responding to the voice, but it didn't matter. Cassie didn't care if I spoke back. For days, she just kept lamenting her death as the doctors tried to teach me how to stand and walk without Cassie. She made herself known in my head. I pretended to be fine, but the voice tore through my sanity. I couldn't sleep. Every time I closed my eyes, she'd start up again. It was them, our filthy parents. They put a pillow over my mouth and killed me. I didn't tell anyone about the voice. Who would understand? Soon I was clear to go home by the doctors. My parents made arrangements for me to start attending school. They bought me a wig to cover up the disfiguring scar. The doors were all unlocked now. There was no more hiding. It should have felt like heaven, but instead the voice of my sister haunted my mind. Dead. I'm dead. They killed me. Months passed with the same agonizing existence. I lost weight. I barely slept. Nothing could bring me any happiness. Cassie was slowly driving me insane. I didn't know if this was my imagination or if Cassie was really alive somewhere in my brain. But one day, I'd had enough. I couldn't do it any longer. They <laughs> killed me. Our parents murdered me. Cassie was sobbing against my eardrums. I took a deep breath and said, Cassie, you have to stop. I put a hand over my mouth in surprise. I hadn't spoken in my brain, only out loud. I tried again. Stop it, Cassie. Desperately, I shoved my fist in my mouth to stop myself from talking, but nothing came out. The ability to speak through my mind had died with my sister. I crawled into a corner of the bedroom, arms over my head. I started to sob, 
Waves of horror and sorrow careened across my body. Cassie just kept screaming and screaming. Our parents are filthy monsters. They murdered me so they could have a normal daughter. They smothered me with a pillow. They, they didn't kill you. I did. I shrieked. Cassie's voice suddenly stopped. My tears kept coming. In a whisper, I continued. I couldn't live like that anymore. I wanted to be normal. I could still feel the weight of the pillow as I shoved it onto Cassie's face. I remembered the moans for help. I could still feel her clawing at my arm. Then something changed. I felt woozy and looked down at my body. It seemed like I was floating away from it. My being shrank. I felt myself pull out of my arms and legs, up into my torso, finally lodging into the back of my brain. I was a tiny ball of myself, hidden, somewhere deep. My arm raised slowly. My arm? Her arm. My voice spoke out loud, but it wasn't me talking. Finally, you admit it. Terrified, I tried to call out, What's going on? But it was just my head. Our head? Just because he killed the body doesn't mean we don't still share the brain. My voice came up crackled. I was waiting for you to do it. I knew you would. You are just like our parents. Filthy, disgusting monsters. But I've always been stronger and smarter than you. You killed the body, but I still control the brain. Cassie stood up in my body, shaking out my limbs. I desperately tried to control anything, but she was right. She was stronger than me. It's strange being able to talk, she said out loud. I like it more than I thought I would. What are you going to do? I am going to become you. The prettier one. The one our parents wanted. Then I'll kill them. Maybe I'll staple their skulls together. Remember how they hated when we did that to our toys. And the best part is, I'll still have you. Stuck there, in the back of our brain. She laughed. <laughs> I always said we'd never be separated. This was seven years ago. Our parents are long dead now. She never went through with her promise to staple their heads together. Instead, she used our glued-together pillow to suffocate both at once. I had to watch, completely helpless. It was my hands over their mouths, just like I did to Cassie. You might wonder why she let me write this. This is supposed to be my confession. One of the ways she can torment me. She allows me to control the body for minutes at a time, giving me a taste of freedom before snatching it back. I should have known I couldn't ever get rid of her. She is a part of me. And now, I'm stuck here. Forever. I wish I had never murdered my sister. But... She sure seems happy that I did. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish, or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I 
cheapo.com. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. I hope you enjoyed My Sister Was Murdered, as written by E.Z. Morgan and voiced by Olivia Steele. Up next, we've got a second sinister story for you, as written by author Travis Coleman and performed by Kaylin Scott Carter. A tale that goes to show you never really know what you'll do in a serious situation until it happens to you. Without further ado, I present to you, She's Gone. This recording was found in a house around suburbia, Colorado. A transcript has been prepared for inclusion in any reports. This is true. This can't be true. There's just no way it is possible. It is some mad dream. It must be. I, I can't. soon. The first few weeks after the accident, Karen couldn't understand it. She asked all sorts of questions I never knew how to answer. She asked where had mommy gone and I told her that she was in heaven. She wanted to know when she was coming back and I tried to let her down as softly as possible. I told her that she's gone. She won't be coming back. She wept for a while, and the sounds that came out of her were so heart-rending that I almost broke down myself. I couldn't. I couldn't let Karen see me lose it. I had to be strong. She persisted with those questions for the first few months. I knew that she couldn't wrap her mind around the immovability of death. To be honest, I couldn't either. For the first few months, I would roll over in the morning, half expecting to see her angel-kissed auburn hair and imperial visage on the pillow next to me before I would remember that she was gone. The mantra became my morning laud, an evening vesper. She's gone. She's gone. She's gone. I can only describe my life after Barbara's death as living with a hole in your heart. It doesn't completely ruin your heart. It just serves as a constant reminder that there is something absent. I know I felt it, and I'm sure Karen experienced it. I kept taking care of my daughter, but I stopped caring for myself. My hair has grown shaggy and... I can see strands of gray rising up in what once was an obsidian sea. 
My eyes are constantly ringed with a lack of sleep and my features are taking on a sallow appearance. My once broad and proud face seems to now be constantly bent in self-defeat. Despite not caring for myself, I expended all my energy in caring for Karen. I made sure she was well-fed, attended school, and was emotionally cared for. Most of all, I made sure she felt loved. A day didn't pass where I didn't hug her or plant a kiss on the top of her head. The questions persisted daily. She wanted to know what happened to mom. I couldn't tell her the full story. I could only manage the bits and pieces. We were driving home. There was an accident. And she was too hurt to survive her injuries. She made these questions an omnipresent part of our lives. I answered the questions as truthfully and frequently as possible. I think how I had my mantra and Karen had hers. They served to reaffirm that her mother was gone. It was three months ago that she asked a question that caught me off guard. I was tucking her into bed when she looked up at me and asked, What did mommy look like? After the accident, I had taken her very few photos and tucked them away. Looking at it was just too painful for me. But it wasn't until that moment that I realized how much it had impacted my daughter. She couldn't remember what her mother looked like. In my desire to guard myself against the pain, I had unintentionally deprived my daughter of a memory. I told her to get comfortable and I would be back in a second. I left and came back with a photo we had all taken a few weeks before the accident. I sat in the bed with her and wrapped my arm around her so she was in the crook of my arm and showed her the photo. Karen stared transfixed at the photo for a few moments, as if trying to memorize every feature and facet of her mom and my wife. I let her study the photo in her reverent manner for a few moments before I prepared to tuck her in. But she had one more question. What was mom like? I thought a moment before beginning. When I first met her, I was so shy. She had a part-time job in the library when I first laid eyes on her. I knew I was in love. We were both in college and I must have spent all of my freshman year looking at her over a book. I snuck glances at her and tried to work up my courage to speak to her. One day, when the library was empty, she came and sat down at the table where I was sneaking peeks and glances at her. She asked if I needed any assistance because I didn't look too good. I was about to ask what made me look sick, but she cut me off. Said, you look fine, but you've been reading that book upside down for an hour now. We shared a laugh and it was enough to break the ice for me to finally ask her out. She was kind and beautiful woman. She had a way of smiling that would just light up a room. She was smart and was always able to see the answer to any question. She was the kind of person who gave and gave and never asked for anything in return. She gave me the greatest gift of all. Do you know what that gift was? She gave me you. And made me the happiest man alive. I then planted a kiss on her forehead and I tucked her in. She asked me that question a few more times. I tried to tell her little stories that encapsulated our happiness. I told her on our first date that culminated in our first kiss. I told Karen about her wedding and how the whole world seemed to be smiling and sunny. I told her of the happiest day of our lives, when she was born. 
It was after telling her one of these stories that she asked me a question that concerned me. She looked up at me with those stunning hazel eyes and asked, What if you could bring mommy back? That question caught me off guard. I paused for a few seconds, trying to think of how I should respond. The truth was that I felt like every passing day without Barbara was a struggle to keep my head above water. I would have given anything to see her one more time. I wanted to tell her that. But I couldn't. Instead, I told her, I loved your mother very, very much. But she is gone. Nothing will bring her back. She grew teary-eyed, but didn't cry. I tucked her in and resolved to take care into Barbara's grave. That weekend, we visited her grave. I was at the funeral, but Karen's grandparents had insisted on having her stay at their house for the funeral. They had chosen to pretend that their daughter had not passed away. They didn't attend the ceremony, and they watched over Karen while I went. I think it was partially to protect her from the knowledge of the finality of death. But I think it was also because they couldn't bear to see me. They blamed me for her death. I blame myself. I killed her. We knelt at the grave and I had Karen lay the flowers we had bought on the earth. I began talking to the granite. I had to explain to my daughter how people sometimes will talk at the graves of their loved ones. Tell them how they're doing or how much they mean to them. She asked me if she could talk and I nodded. I stepped away to give her some privacy. I stayed close in case I was needed. She reached forward and put her hand on the cold granite where the words, Barbara Jones, loving wife, caring mother, and adoring daughter were etched. Karen spoke. Mom, it's me, Karen. I love you. I miss you every day, and Dad does too. He cries sometimes. He thinks I can't hear him in his room, but I can. I wish you would come back to us. She wiped a tear away and stood up. I made myself look busy by looking at a nearby tombstone. It simply read, Judith O'Day. I went home and I made myself a promise that I would take better care of myself. It was a week ago that I first caught Karen sneaking out. I was lying in my bed and listening to the sounds of our house settling when I heard the distinctive sound of her door being opened. I thought she was getting some water and would be back in her room in a couple of minutes. After a few minutes, I figured that she had returned and just forgotten to close the door. I drifted off and when I woke up in the morning to get her ready for school, I found her door closed the backyard door unlocked. She had gone outside during the night. I questioned her as I drove her to school, but she just told me that maybe I had forgotten to lock the door that night. She had that guilty look in her eyes. I knew that she was lying. I assumed that she had gone out into the backyard or something, maybe to look for a doll or something, and forgotten to lock the door behind her. I resolved to try and be more vigilant. I stayed up the next night and waited for the sound of her door opening. After tucking her in, I sat in my bed and read while waiting for any sounds as she left her room. After a few hours, I decided to get a drink of water from downstairs. I remember that I was thinking that I was being foolish by waiting for Karen to try and sneak out when I should have just asked her what was going on. I don't think I was too worried. She was too young to be sneaking out to hang out with boys, drink, or smoke. She was a nine-year-old for crying out loud. It was when I was coming back upstairs with glass in hand that I noticed her bedroom door was open. The glass fell out of my hand and spilled on the floor, 
I had forgotten to close her door. She wasn't in her bed. She had gotten out of bed and walked by my room without waking me. My heart started to beat faster. I ran downstairs and found the backyard door that I had locked was now unlocked. My heart was beating a frantic staccato in my chest. I went out into the backyard and the backyard gate was open. My heart almost stopped from the sudden shock of it all. Karen had left the house in the middle of the night and now I had no clue where she was. I ran into the back alley that connected the houses in this suburb hoping to find her, but she wasn't there. I thought of all the places she could have gone. All her friends lived at least five or more miles away. She wouldn't try walking that distance. There weren't any carnivals or fairs in town right now. I thought hard about where she could have gone, and then the realization of where she could have gone descended on my brain like a murder of ravenous crows. The cemetery. I broke into a dead sprint down the alley. It was only two miles between our house and the cemetery. But a lot can happen to a little girl in two miles in the dead of night. My mind raced and invented scenarios that could befall my sweet daughter in between here and there. I ran in the darkness without a flashlight, without having locked the door, without a thought in my mind than my little girl. I ran until my stomach felt like it was sloshing battery acid around. My legs were filled with pens and my lungs were trapped in a steel vise. I kept running. I found her at the gates to the cemetery. Karen saw me and tried to squeeze through the gates, but I reached her in time. She cried, let me go, I want to talk to mom, I miss mom. The floodgates splintered and shattered and I pulled her to me and I broke down. I wept. I miss her too. I think that was the first time I had ever openly wept like that in front of her. We sobbed like that for a few minutes in each other's arms before I gathered her up and took her home. As we walked by the gates of the cemetery, I could have sworn I saw two men digging a grave in the center of the graveyard. I never knew that grave diggers worked that late. We made it home before 3 a.m. and I tucked Karen into bed. The next morning, Monday, I made a promise to take her to visit Barbara's grave every Sunday if she promised not to sneak out at night and try and visit her. She agreed, and I drove her to school. I took the day off work to root around the basement for my tools so I could fashion a deadbolt for the doors that was out of Karen's reach so she couldn't sneak out at night. I found everything I needed, but decided against putting up the deadbolts. I decided to trust that my daughter wouldn't try and sneak out. The next couple of days passed without any excitement. I took care of Karen, and I reassured her that we would visit my wife and her mother's grave that Sunday. The only thing that really stood out to me that week was a news report I caught the tail end of. Apparently, there were a string of crimes in which graves had been dug up and bodies were taken out of their coffins. I remembered the two men digging in the graveyard that night and knew that something shady was going on there. I was tempted to go to the police and file a report, but I decided against it. I didn't want to try and explain what I was doing out there that late at night. I think I was worried that the police might find me a negligent parent and take my Karen away from me. Everything seemed to happen all at once. That night, I was preparing to go to the cemetery with my daughter the next day. I took Karen in and sat in the bed reading, unable to go to sleep. I finally drifted off, but was woken up by my daughter shaking me and shouting something. She sounded like it was Christmas morning. I rubbed the sleep out of my eyes and asked her what she said. She spit out a rapid series of words that my sleep-stupid brain could barely process. She took off, and the last words she excitedly shouted hit me like a one-two punch to the solar plexus. Mommy is back. I rolled out of bed and made it downstairs to the kitchen just as Karen was fiddling with the door lock. Through the window in the door, I saw her. She was standing on the porch in the backyard. She was grubby and dirt clung to her hair in clumps. Her dress was soiled. She was leaning into the glass and I could see her facial features and her angel-kissed auburn hair. I gasped 
trying to catch the breath that felt like it had been knocked out of me. I couldn't. It felt like something was preventing the air from going back into my lungs, and I dumbly realized that it must have been my heart that had leapt up in my throat. It was her. Karen unlocked the door, and before I could say anything, she swung it open and led her into the house. Memories and images beat around my brain. I remember the accident in vivid clarity. We had been celebrating Valentine's Day. I had had one too many drinks. She insisted on driving us home. I had my head out the window and was enjoying the cold, sobering wind swirling around my intoxicated head like a tempest. I pulled my head back in and got Barbara's attention. I caught her eyes and was telling her how much I loved her when the car hit a patch of ice. It slid, and for a second looked like she had it under control before the car twisted sideways and shot off the road like a bullet fired from the gun of a vengeful god. We were weightless for a few moments before we slammed into a tree. The impact slammed my head into the dash and threw her through the windshield. I don't remember everything, but I can recall some images from that horrible night. My brain screams to me in painful images. Me stumbling out of the car and finding her sprawled out on the ground. Me holding her in my arms while drunkenly and frantically screaming for help. Me watching hopelessly as she died in my arms. It was my fault. If I wasn't drunk, I would have been driving. If I didn't try and say something romantic to her, she would have been paying attention to the road. If I had been driving, it would have been me who had been tossed from the car through the windshield like a rag doll. Now she stood in the portal of the doorway in the same dress I had buried her in. She looked dazed and vacantly stared at the world around her. It was really her. My brain tried to make sense of it, but it couldn't. This was wrong. I wanted to say something, but my words rattled loose from my brain like a car losing control on the highway and smashing into a guardrail. More thoughts and words built up behind the initial thought and got caught behind my teeth in the mental carnage. The words and thoughts accumulated like cars in a pileup, and no matter how hard I tried to clear it up, the words would not tumble free. Before I could find the words to speak, Karen flew forward and right into her arms. The pale, dirty, gaunt, and malodorous Barbara leaned forward as if to embrace her daughter just before sinking her teeth into her neck. Karen was too shocked to do anything at first. She screamed as Barbara gnawed at the side of her throat where her shoulder met her neck. She tried to push her mother off her, but she was far too heavy and strong to be repelled so easily. She bit and chewed tenaciously at my daughter while everything unfolded before me like a nightmare that I had no influence or control over. That scream was enough to clear the blockage in my mind and galvanize me into action. I charged forward, roaring like a wounded animal, and seized Barbara by the shoulders and shoved her away from Karen with all of my strength. She came loose with a wet, tearing sound and slammed against the kitchen table. She bent backwards like she was going to topple over the wooden table before launching herself at me with snapping crimson teeth and horrifying groans that reeked of months worth of rot and embalming fluid. I caught her by the shoulders as she snapped and gashed her teeth with such force that I thought her teeth would shatter. I had to get rid of her in order to check on Karen. I slammed her into the back of the cabinet so hard that her back made a cracking sound before opening the door to the basement and throwing her down the stairs. She rolled down the stairs like a dervish of broken bones. I watched as she began to crawl up the stairs towards me. I slammed the door shut behind her. And that hurt God. She, she was lying on the ground with a small puddle of blood around her neck like a crimson halo. She twitched and spasmed on the floor as blood dripped out of her open wound. I slid across the linoleum and cradled her head in my lap. 
should be in a dead stare. I felt something deep inside of me die. She died in my arms, looking up with my eyes, gurgling her last moments, still unable to make sense of why any of this would happen. Unable to understand why her mother would do such a thing as bite her. I still don't know that answer. She came back five minutes later. Her eyes fluttered open and for a brief moment, I thought it was her. She dashed that hope when her mouth dropped open in a snarl and she leaned towards me. I pushed her away and regained my footing. I managed to lock her outside. She was always so light. I pushed her out the door and she fell off the porch. She righted herself and began to shamble back towards the house. But I had already closed and locked the door. I am not sure of anything anymore. I am sure of one thing though. That thing is not my wife. That thing is no longer my daughter. They look like them. But they are not them. They are not them. They are not them. They are not them. And I am not me. I died with them. I am no longer myself. I am nothing but an empty husk waiting patiently for the end. I am waiting for the doors to give way. Do you hear them? I am waiting for the end. I am waiting to rejoin my Karen and Barbara. Those things should be through the doors any second now. I am leaving this recording so you know what happened to this. I hope you can make more sense of this than me. I hope you enjoyed She's Gone, as written by Travis Cullman and performed by Kaylin Scott Carter. Thank you for joining us for tonight's episode of Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. As a reminder, take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, a production of Chilling Entertainment and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted by yours truly, Steve Taylor. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Logo by Craig Groshek. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? We take submissions. 
Email it to us today at submissions at chillingtalesfordarknights.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to us. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew each and every week. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. We'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7.